0: Josh Kappas and Love Life Ministries teaching you how to effectively and lovingly minister in front of abortion clinics because, in the words of John Barrows, it's amazing what God will do if you simply show up. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices.
1: You have organizations out there like the Centre for Bioethical Reform. The Centre for Bioethical Reform.
2: Canadian Centre
1: for Bioethical
2: Reform. Organizations like the Centre for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then
1: use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people so then All kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I
0: was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto.
2: I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion.
0: Today we are doing Choice Chain in downtown Regina.
2: By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life.
0: He then walked away 100% pro-life.
2: Completely pro-life.
0: We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me once again is my wonderful friend, my wonderful colleague, and my co-host, Cameron Cote. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Good to be counted as a friend, colleague, and, and
1: co-worker, whatever the third one was. Good to be back. Looking forward to this episode.
0: Yeah, likewise. If you're new to the the episode, if this is the first episode you're listening to, we are two guys who live in Canada and we're passionate about ending abortion in Canada, but also around the world. And this podcast is dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to change hearts and save lives. Here in Canada, a lot of the ministry that we do is on street corners. It's in public squares. It's at high schools, And colleges and universities. It's door to door. And so the conversations that we have and the tools and tactics that we present to you are often based upon that, how to have those intellectual conversations, uh, conversations where we lovingly respond to a lot of the different challenges that are brought forward and the justifications that we hear. But today we're having a conversation with uh, a gentleman who is going to be talking about a little bit different. We can't talk to people in front of abortion clinics here in Canada, but he's from the United States and he works with a ministry who seeks to train people and equip them to minister effectively and lovingly in front of abortion clinics. And so what we're going to talk about today is a little bit about that ministry and how we can do that well. Before I get into an introduction, I just want to share one thing. We hired another guy, uh, another producer to help us uh, produce some of the content. His name's Attila. He's absolutely great. Uh, A good friend of both Cam and mine. And and that's because we want to make sure that we produce the best content that we can. We're a podcast. We want to equip you, give you practical tools that you can use. And and we want to continue making this content so that you know how to have good conversations, so that you're not tongue-tied when the topic comes up. And so we want to direct you to our Patreon page so that you can join us in the ministry to do just that. Patreon.com slash pro to join us, to financially partner with the work that we are doing so that you too can get involved in equipping people to be be good pro-life ambassadors. Go check us out, patreon.com slash pro There's also an opportunity for some pretty cool merch. Go check it out all right let's get into the conversation today we're talking to josh Capas. he serves as the vice president of love life america josh served as a pastor for 17 years before his life was interrupted by the tragic truth of abortion and being exposed to a clear plan and vision for how the church can end the number one moral issue of our day he has been with love life since 2018 and is amazed at what the Lord is doing and continues to do to awaken the church in America. And you're going to hear about some of that today. He's married to his wife, Jenna, and they have two children, Caitlin and Samuel. This is our conversation with Josh. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today on the Pro-Life Guys podcast.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I'm uh, really, really grateful to be here.
0: Yeah, we're, we're excited as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about Love Life, uh, the ministry that you work for, and about some of the tactics you use, the training you provide for those ministering outside of abortion clinics. But before yeah. we get into that, I'd love to hear your story. How did you, you know, first hear about abortion, first become um, kind of blown away by the reality of abortion, and what was it that made you want to do this sort of work full time?
2: Yeah, you know, it really is uh, quite an interesting story uh, because, honestly, guys, I was involved in just pastoral ministry. Uh, I did student ministry for about 10 years and then planted a church in 2012. And I would consider myself like the usual pro-life pastor, right? Like you preach about it once a year. You do some stuff with the pregnancy care center. But beyond that, like, what can you really do? Um And I actually went to the I was invited by some friends to uh, the abortion clinic in Charlotte here. It's about an hour south of where I live. And uh, I actually went there before Love Life existed. And, uh, you know, it was a very gripping experience, but the thought really never occurred to me like this is a legitimate place that I should bring my people to. Um, It just felt like, you know, there's like a kind of a certain group of people that are more wired and gifted to be here. And I'm not that guy. Um, Fast forward a few years after that, and I was invited again, but this time to a one hour journey with Love Life, which is a preview that they do for pastors. And by the end of that experience, I was completely blown away. Um, I spent the rest of the day crying on and off by what I had just seen and experienced and it was two things that really got me one was obviously the what we call the tragic truth of abortion like seeing real moms and dads that are going into these places it it takes the issue of abortion for a pastor from this like you know distant political issue that you know exists but isn't really personal unless you like have experienced it or know someone close to you that has and just made it so real that like these are people these are my neighbors in our city that are being, you know, impacted. They're in the ditch, like the Good Samaritan. Um, And then on on top of that, Love Life provided me as a pastor with this like low level of entry, but high impact experience that we could participate in. And they had all of these amazing stories of how God was answering prayers. And like, just, I mean, I was just blown away. And so I called my co-pastor that day and said, we have to. We got a partner with these guys, and so we did three prayer walks, and we'll talk more about what that looks like, but um, we did three prayer walks within the first year. Uh, people within our church and congregation who had abortions in their past were receiving healing and getting involved in post-aborted Bible studies, sharing their stories, God was restoring their life. In fact, one of our moms, uh, went her first um, prayer walk with Love Life uh, was the first time in 10 years she had been back to that abortion clinic where she aborted her baby. And uh, was a very, very powerful and healing experience for her. And so long story short, uh, they kind of uh, tricked me a little bit. I like to joke around. Uh, one of the guys on staff at Love Life asked me to lead a prayer walk on a Saturday. And he videoed me uh, leading a prayer walk and sent it to our founder and said, we got to hire this guy. And uh, so they uh, brought me on back in 2018 to help launch um, two new cities. Uh, So I had started out as um, being the director over Greensboro and Raleigh here in North Carolina. And then I helped launch Manhattan back in 2019. And uh, so now I serve as the vice president uh, of Love Life and uh, never in a million years thought I would be doing something like this. Um, And I think one of the biggest reasons it was funny, like when it first happened, my kids were like, dad, you're a pastor. You can't, you can't leave. You can, you can't not be a pastor. And And, uh, you know, I just, the the thing for me was, is a lot of my time is spent ministering to pastors, encouraging pastors, um, helping them see the value in talking about abortion, saying what God says, doing it full of grace and full of truth at the same time, uh, and and seeing the value in what God does in a congregation when our pastors really lead and engage uh, with this issue, so... That's that's my story.
1: Boom! That that is so encouraging to see that that huge leap of faith going into this this pro life ministry. I'm sure there's a massive transition from a, um, a a pastor in a church and and some of the stability I'm sure that goes around with that. You know exactly where you got to show up for work and all that kind of stuff, and exactly what's <laughs> expected of you going yeah. into that, um, going from that into um, a, a really a, a leap of faith into the pro life ministry. And and I wonder. Through that, I, I'm sure there are people that were really encouraging you through that. And, and for the pastors who may be tuning into this episode, maybe share just a moment of like, what kind of companionship was beneficial, what, what was not helpful in that transition going from being a pastor into working full time with um, Love Life, what helped and what, what really wasn't super helpful going in um, through that transition, I guess.
2: Yeah. So, you know, by and large, our elders, the leadership of our church was very supportive. I had the benefit of having a co-pastor as well. So that transition was smooth. Um, Certainly there were people who didn't understand, you know, why I was doing what I was doing. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I I am so deeply convinced not only of the the tragedy of abortion, but that the church is the answer uh, to this problem. Uh, Some of the language that we use that I think has shifted things for pastors is helping them see their local abortion clinic as a legitimate mission field. Um, These places are the only places in their city where we can point to and say, we know when and we know where lost and hurting people are showing up and where human beings are scheduled to die. And it's very reasonable for us as Christians to be there with the help of the local church, and the hope of the gospel; um, those those two things just tie it all together uh, for me. And so, there's a variety of ways that people in the body can be a part of that. Not everybody is geared and wired and gifted to, you know, be the ones who are calling out and engaging with moms and dads. But people can be there praying. They can be there worshiping. Uh, People can be involved on the back end that when a mom chooses life, they can disciple that family, they can throw them a baby shower, they can do life together. Uh, People can be involved in foster care and adoption. Uh, People can be involved in um, helping people be restored from abortion. And so um, I don't know that there was anything in that transition that wasn't helpful per se, like, you know, people were generally kind to me and um, and, and supportive, um, it, you know, it was a big transition for our family for sure, um, because of it's consuming. I mean, there it's a very very consuming, dark, heavy ministry. You know, when you Daniel, one of our guys on staff here, he talks about how um, boats that are in the water just by the nature of being in the water get barnacles on them, and barnacles cause drag and. You know, as Christians, there's things that just by the nature of being a Christian in the world, there's barnacles that, you know, get on our lives and drag us down and cause drag in our relationships with one another and with the Lord. Um, So, yeah, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of challenges and difficulties that we face because at the end of the day, this is a spiritual warfare. This is going on. Child sacrifice has been going on uh, for a really, really, really long time in the history of the world. Um, and, uh, so it's demonic. It's so demonic. Even the abortion clinic, uh, one of the the managers here, the gal who runs the clinic, she actually brought in witches. Uh, she's done this on numerous occasions, but brought witches to her abortion clinic to perform seances, uh, at night. They hung pentagrams around the property. Uh, they had lit torches. I mean, it was like a scene out of a movie. We, we had some folks who were out there because our big prayer walk at the end of the year was coming up the next morning and they drew symbols on the sidewalks. And uh, so we see people trying to cast spells on some of our comment sections and live feeds and things like that. So uh, yeah, so there are definitely challenges when you step into this and at the end of the day for any pastor, and you guys know this, any pastor who starts to engage this issue with his people and start to say what God says, contrary to the culture there's a cost involved, right? Like not everybody loves that. Not everybody's going to be happy that you're doing that. Um, And uh, that's why I think I have such a great admiration for, you know, we have partnered with over 400 churches now. I have such a great admiration for the pastors who have partnered with us because they have counted the cost. And uh, one pastor actually in New York City told me uh, right before the pandemic hit last year, I was with him in Manhattan. He said to me, if I can't preach on life, how can I preach on anything else? And uh, he said, the Lord brought me to a crossroads that if I my entire ministry hinges on whether or not I'm going to have the courage to preach on life, too. And, you know, he's got a very politically diverse congregation, as you can imagine, in New York City. And uh, just I, I have a great admiration for these pastors who count the cost and they, they uh, press into uh, culturally, you know, hot topics out of a love for the Lord and a love for the scriptures and a love for his people. So
0: I, I love that. And and I I love when pastors recognize the importance of standing in the gap um, and and defending those, you know, who can't defend for themselves. And that's fascinating about, you know, the seances and, and different experiences you've had outside of the abortion clinics. I'd love to hear more of that, but we're going to push that back just a little bit yeah. into the episode. Um, Okay. So churches ought to be involved. Uh, as you say, the, the, The call for churches is to be in front of the abortion clinics, to be fighting abortion. How does Love Life fit into this? Can you share with us a little bit about what Love Life is and what some of your mission and goals are uh, as a ministry, as an organization?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So, you know, most churches that we encounter from a scale of like one to 10, how engaged they are with the issue of abortion, I would say they're probably a one to three um and so the very first thing that we do is uh, we invite pastors to a 1-hour journey that's the same experience that I had and really it's a it's a preview it's a 1-hour preview but that meeting is not in the safe space of a pastor's office it's at the abortion clinic um and so the the majority of pastors that we meet with that we take out there it's their first time at an abortion clinic um many of these guys don't even know where the local abortion clinic in their city is So I've stood with many pastors with tears running down their face as they encounter that reality for the first time. It becomes very real. Then at the end of that journey, we give them an invitation to join what we call our 40-week journey of hope. And that's where we host a peaceful prayer walk for 40 straight weeks from February uh, to November. Uh, So every Saturday during that 40-week journey, we have a peaceful prayer walk happening at uh, local abortion clinics now in, in 15 cities. It originally, it just started in Charlotte and then expanded to Greensboro, Raleigh, Manhattan. Um, And uh, then we just exploded last year during the pandemic. So, um, so yeah, so it's a peaceful prayer walk. We have a code of conduct uh, where we don't allow people to engage with anyone involved with abortion. Um, So it creates kind of this like safety net for a pastor where he's like, you know, this is also new and, What's this going to be like? Are we going to be protesting and picketing and just saying, no, we're going to be praying. We're going to be worshiping. We have a program that we follow. Um, And so it's not that we're against engagement. We just, you know, when you have sometimes 100, 200, we've seen as many as 700 people show up at one, you know, from one church for a prayer walk. Uh, You don't want just anybody like starting to call out and it could get very crazy very quick. Um, So we just, you know, say, hey, we're here to pray. We're here to worship. We walk them through that process. And uh, so the ask of a pastor is, will you adopt a week? so So we call it an adoption week. And we walk people through four steps. And this is the original vision that the Lord really laid out for our founder, Justin Reeder, from the book of Nehemiah. And so the adoption week has four steps. Hear, pray, go, connect. So Nehemiah heard the tragedy of what was happening to Jerusalem, to the walls of Jerusalem. He begins to pray and fast. Then he leaves his palace and goes for himself to see what's happening. And then he begins to connect people, to mobilize people to rebuild the wall. Um, and so that's what the adoption week is. So on the Sunday of a church's adoption week, we ask them, we ask the pastor to preach on life. We have a presentation that we share. And the people are invited then to pray and fast on Wednesdays and then to come to the prayer walk on Saturday. And at the end of the prayer walk, we extended invitation for people to engage in ministry beyond the prayer walk, and uh, that's the four things that I mentioned before: post-abortion care, orphan care, sidewalk outreach, and uh, mentoring moms who moms and dads who choose life. Um, and so that is Adoption Week in in a nutshell. Um, what what shifted for us last year in the pandemic? We actually were arrested. Uh, Early on last year, um, when the pandemic hit in two of the cities we were in, the local governments really tried to use the uh, stay at home orders, the emergency orders to remove all Christians from being out at abortion clinics, um, even though we were acting within the law. And and, uh, we actually one of the city attorneys said uh, First Amendment goes out the window when there's an emergency order. If a cop tells you to climb a tree, climb a tree. And uh, so uh, we had to make a decision. You know, we were all being told to turn our lives upside down to protect the vulnerable among us from the virus, right? While at the same time, these cities were literally packing women into their abortion clinics, no social distancing, to have abortions, flying abortionists in from Massachusetts to do abortions, and then turn around and tell us that we can't be there to pray. We can't be there to offer free ultrasounds. Um, And so our founder just said, guys, if abortion is essential, then a Christian witness at every abortion clinic should also be essential. And that launched Love Life America um, as we were praying about how to expand this across the United States outside of those four main cities. um, The Lord used those arrests and the pandemic to really say this is how you're going to do it. So I can share more about that, but I feel like I'm a little long winded. So I'll pause here for a sec.
0: No, that's that's great. I remember being in Florida in March of last year and I joined a friend of ours, John Barrows, outside of the Orlando yeah. Women's Center. Yeah, um, John's great. Yeah, we I've, he is. Yeah, I've spent time with him almost every year for the last maybe four or five, you know, once a year. And uh, we were out there. People were aware of the pandemic and everyone was kind of worried about it. The The lobby of this abortion clinic was absolutely packed full. And we yeah. learned later that someone had actually um tested positive for the virus uh the abortion workers within that facility were aware of it and yet because you know you know it's a it's a good thing as it were to have an abortion and and get their money the abortion continued and uh yeah regardless of the virus or or, you know any sort of you know problems that 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 would that would uh that that would bring but i know cam you have something uh you'd like to jump in here Well, actually, Josh, I'll let
1: let you respond to that, because I'm sure the the wheels are turning for that kind of response of of how not only is abortion deemed... uh, absolutely essential during the pandemic, but also, I mean, especially when you consider the fact that um, uncertainty, financial strain, all those kind of factors that have only been exacerbated by um, the pandemic, are likely shooting abortion um, rates through the roof because people exactly. are are in all of these uncertain situations. It's absolutely essential that you guys are on those street corners, right?
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, we knew because of that exactly what you said that uh, numbers were going to go up so you know obviously we are pro-life we do value life uh we and so wound the tune and so it's not like we were being ignorant of the virus and things like that i mean we were trying to act within the guidelines groups less than 10 hand sanitizer socially distancing but still being present right i mean the the call to be a voice for the voiceless to to um you know to stand like One of the things that deeply convicts me is every time an abortion happens is a declaration that God does not exist, that we are God, that we decide who lives and who doesn't. And it's a destruction of the image of God and the glory of God in the world. Um, And so just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean that we don't continue to stand for righteousness. And be an advocate for the unborn and for their mothers and fathers and for the gospel and the glory of God um, at that time. Um, and so, you know, it was it was so funny, guys. Uh, one cop told a pastor he couldn't stand and pray on, on a public sidewalk. He had to go to his church parking lot and pray. The, there were so many silly things. I mean, the day that I was arrested in Charlotte, um, Home Depot parking lot was packed full. You couldn't even find a spot the local park someone posted photos of a local park people are out there playing volleyball picnicking the park is packed full of people um but you know a handful of Christians socially distancing walking around praying was you know a health a, a public health crisis and uh, so uh just it but it's you know guys at the end of the day you you know this you you you're involved in this right you you know that when things don't make sense like that it's the demonic right it's the spiritual it's the deception uh, that's taken place in our culture to make abortion acceptable um, and for us to continue to be our own little gods.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and praise God that you guys had not only the courage, but also all the ability to go out and and have that, that witness outside of so many clinics. I'm so encouraged by the fact that, like you said, there's so many more churches that came on board during the span of the pandemic. And just to cycle back to one thing that you mentioned before that I found really, really fascinating that you conduct many of your meetings with pastors outside of the abortion facility. And I think that's so important because that touches on another thing that you mentioned earlier about how for so many people, this is such an abstract issue. It, it's just one on a long list of things that I, I got to think about at some point. And and it's just kind of statistics and, and numbers and whatnot, but to bring pastors out to the, um, the abortion facility to, to share not only what is going on, like you said, but also how they can be involved in, in reshaping society. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful way. And I, before we dive into kind of the, the hands-on training that you provide to those pastors and their congregations, mm-hmm. maybe just speak to What that experience has been like, I I know that you mentioned there's some pastors that are already in tears when they're out there, but but speak to the value of everyone spending at least an hour, at least a, a portion of their time actually outside of an abortion facility and the impact that that can have and how that really makes it so real for people when it comes to this abortion issue that's all too easy to put behind a curtain and only think about in abstract terms.
2: Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if you could imagine living in World War II or the, you know, the 1800s where, you know, they're hanging African-Americans from trees and you are standing there, you're living during that time period outside of a concentration camp and you're seeing Jews being walked in there and you know what's happening. It's not like a mystery. They're, they're being gassed. They're being killed. Um, you know, how, how would that impact you? It's the same kind of experience. I mean, these are modern day, it's a modern day Holocaust. It's a modern day experience, regardless of what the abortion industry and the culture try to say, that. well, that's the different. Those were born human beings. It's, that's nonsense. It's the same thing. People arbitrarily robbed human beings of value based off of their ethnicity or their color of their skin. Now we're just doing it to babies because of where they're located and their size and, you know, all of that. And so, Um, it's a powerful, powerful experience. You can't, like a pastor, you can meet with a pastor in his office and talk about this and he can dismiss you by saying, we give money to the local pregnancy care center. I want to get him to the local abortion clinic because it's awfully harder for him to say, I give money to the, the local pregnancy care center because the reality is there's a whole section of our population. They're not going to the pregnancy care center. They don't even know about the pregnancy care center. They're going to have an abortion. They have an appointment. They're not considering abortion. They made an appointment. They're determined to have an abortion. Who is reaching these people? And, and at this point, guys, you know, we, as far as we know, we have had, at minimum, verbal con- confirmation from over 2,600 families that have kept their babies since 2016. Um, many, many of those moms that we have ongoing relationship with and we get to hear their stories have said, we were looking for an out, we were praying for a sign and you were that sign. Uh, we believe that there's around 500 abortion clinics in the United States right now that do not have a Christian witness standing out in front of those clinics. How many moms and dads are showing up to these places, looking for an out, praying for a sign and there are no Christians there offering the gospel and offering the help of the local church that that deeply burdens me but it also makes me excited too because it's changing and we're encountering people all across the United States that are saying we're going to do that um, young and old retired college students that are you know willing to go and, to, and to, you know be that light at these at these abortion clinics so uh, yeah even if you're not a pastor go find it you know Google search your local abortion clinic go find it. And go out there and pray, like, and just see what the Lord reveals to you and what He shows you. One of, uh, actually, uh, one of my friends is a youth pastor in town. He he did a one-hour journey. He brought his daughter with him, and while they were outside the abortion clinic, their one of their neighbors, who she goes to school with, drove into the parking lot to have an abortion. Um, and so, man, you talk about you, you, at that point, there's no talking about. We give money to the pregnancy care center uh, because it's you know it's. It's real. It is, it's real human beings. We know what's happening. That mom is walking inside with a baby. She's leaving without her baby in her womb anymore. And the, the life of that child has been ended. So um, yeah, it's, it's hard to really turn that down, especially when you're able to say at the end too, here's what you can do about it. It's not just, eh, this is what's happening, but here's what you can do about it.
0: That, that, that's key knowing what to do about it. And I think about what you said you know, people are, are praying for a sign. They're hoping for a sign here in Canada. We're actually not able to stand in front of abortion yeah. clinics because of the bubble zone laws mm-hmm. that we have. Um, but Cam and I work for an organization where we go to to high schools and colleges and universities and downtown areas and door to door. And it's actually stunning uh, the amount of times that I've had where um, just in conversation with young women and they'll say something like, I just wish someone in my life had said something. My boyfriend, my husband, my family member, yeah. um, someone just hoping uh, someone just saying, you know, you know, you can keep this. I, you know, we can help you, and no one doing it. And so that's an opportunity for us, being you know members of our local church uh, and and the church universal, to stand out there and be that sign that so many people are are looking for, and uh, and are hoping will arrive at some point. So Absolutely. you gave an encouragement. You gave an encouragement, Josh, for people to, to get out to search their their local abortion clinic and to get out in front of that. That's intimidating for a lot of people, which yeah. is why you guys exist. And, and you can do it in a group of people. But we'd like to talk a little bit about what to do when we're in front of an abortion clinic or what to do when we're talking to abortion minded women. And the reason is, is because we want people to take very practical application steps from this podcast so that they are equipped to have those conversations, whether they come up, you know, because we intentionally went out in front of an abortion clinic or whether it's like we're just talk- talking to our neighbor on the front porch and they mentioned something. We don't want to be, you know, be tongue tied, but ready to to give an answer and to to provide some hope for them uh, as they're in the difficult circumstance. So let's, uh, you know, I mean, let's kick things off. How do people prepare uh, to minister in front of a boor- an abortion clinic before they go? And, you know, you mentioned a few things. And what are some things they can think of doing while they go out in front of those abortion clinics?
2: Yeah, so this is really uh, Daniel and our team. This is his sweet spot. But I've learned a lot from Daniel. Um, you know, some sidewalk ministries really shy away. Like even in their training, they shy away from talking about God and kind of put God last. We actually teach the opposite. Um where it's completely fine to say, you know, mama, that, that baby in your womb is God's creation. It's not a mistake. Uh, God cares about you and your baby and and we're here to help you. Can you come over and have a conversation? And, you know, you don't have a lot of time. Um, Typically the parking lot is very close to the door. Uh, And uh, in a lot of cases um, there are escorts there who are, Intentionally there to get that mom inside that building as fast as possible. They use umbrellas. Uh, sometimes we've even seen them hang little speakers on their umbrellas that are playing music so that mom can't hear what people are saying. Um, if you don't have escorts at your abortion clinic, uh, great. Make you know take advantage of that. Um, but if you're effective, I guarantee you they're gonna there will be escorts at your abortion clinic soon because they don't like losing money. Um, and uh, so yeah, so. Um, You know, calling out, being very short to the point. um, If you are within proximity to where you can talk in a normal voice, we certainly encourage you talking in a normal voice. There's so much chaos in a a mom's life. When you think about, you know, just what all is going on in her life that's even leading her, right, to think that this is a good decision. And the conscience, the human conscience knows what's about to take place, regardless of what the culture says. Um, so you don't want to have chaos on the sh- sidewalk as well. You want to be inviting that mom can come, have a conversation with you. Um, in some of our cities, there's mobile ultrasound units that's a place to get them away from the clinic, have a free ultrasound, but really just calm down and hear the gospel, hear the help that's available um, you know in in their local city. So um, that would be th- those are some of the things that I know I've learned uh, from Daniel. We do um, offer, online training um, to people who come to our prayer walks and they say, hey, we want to be trained to be out on the sidewalks. Uh, We have regular ongoing um, live training and also recorded training that we make available uh, to people. We have uh, recommended handouts that we've created uh, that that show the development of the baby, Uh, scriptures are in there, the resources that are available nationally or specifically in their city. Um, and, uh, so, uh, but, uh, but also too, I mean, I think sharing the gospel too. I mean, um, if you can use amplified sound again, not every sidewalk ministry advocates for using amplified sound, but if you can be talking in a normal voice and using amplified sound to reach those who are inside the building, uh, a few weeks ago, a, a mom actually came to our abortion clinic here in Charlotte and told one of our, uh, volunteers, I showed showed them her baby. I think the baby was three years old. And she said, when I was here three years ago, I heard people singing and I heard someone on the microphone calling out and I changed my mind. And I didn't tell you guys, but I left that day and now here's my baby. Um, And so, you know, if you have all of those mamas and dads, dads are typically, you know, boyfriends are sitting in the parking lot in their cars, you know, thumbing through Facebook, and the moms are inside, if you can be on a, on a speaker system, and just be, you know, there is an urgency, right? Like, sometimes we're so afraid to be perceived as like, you know, are you're mean. And, you know, if you were standing in front of on a road where the bridge was out 50 yards down the road, you you wouldn't be calmly just, oh, hey, you know, the bridge is out. Like, There's an urgency, right? If we really believe a life is on the line, and this mom and dad are going to carry the weight of that decision for the rest of their lives, it's okay to be urgent. It's okay to be passionate. Um, I I don't, you know, we we talk a lot about like if the motivation for you to do this ministry is you hate abortion, you're going to have a hard time. You know, that's the primary motivator. You're probably going to burn out. You're going to be angry most of the time. But if the motivation is you know, the glory of God, the beauty of God, the beauty of the gospel, and a heart for people to want to, you know, to meet God, to know God, and to be an advocate for the image of God in that baby, then you can be passionate and loving at the same time. You can be urgent and loving at the same time. You can be truthful. um, And uh, and that's what we see. Our, Our team here, these guys are amazing, the ones in Charlotte. They're the ones primarily training everyone across the nation now. And uh, man, we've seen just incredible stories, not only of babies being saved, but I think last week alone, three moms prayed to receive Christ, put their faith in Christ um, at abortion clinics. Um, one, one of the mamas or uh, one of the volunteers who, who led a mom to the Lord, she's a new believer. She's only been a Christian for two years. She's a brand new volunteer and she engaged with a mom and uh, had the privilege of, of sharing the gospel with her, leading her to pray to receive Jesus. And then. Uh, and then keeping her baby uh, as well, so uh, it's uh, amazing to see what what's taking place through the training.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Exactly. Just beautiful seeing that those transformations right then and there. And I wonder. I, I know that you mentioned this is kind of your your coworker Daniel's kind of bread and butter, the the on the ground kind of um, practical tips. But I, I wonder, as a group, are are there particular themes? Whether it's um, the support that's available whether it's the horror of abortion whether it's the goodness of God whether it's just inviting them to a place of peace and quiet and like let's just talk about this because obviously we we've seen so much how the abortion industry is is so focused on driving people through we're going to fix your problem immediately don't worry don't think don't don't do anything just come here and we'll fix it real quick are there themes that that uh, love life as a, a ministry focuses on encouraging whether it's like i said yeah the the support that's available knowing your your local pregnancy care center what is available the the kinds of support not only material support but also social support and emotional support or do you find that, you know, what, we, we get a, a significant number of people turning away from the door when we talk about the horrors of abortion or the, um, I'm, I'm sure for many clinics, the, the extensive report of health violations or whatever may be going on in that clinic. Yeah. Are there yeah. particular themes that you guys find to be particularly effective in, in changing hearts or wh- where are you guys out on that?
2: You know, I think one of the things I failed to mention when you said, you know, what can people do? I, my answer should have been really to pray, um, you know, being led by the Holy Spirit and and ministering out of the overflow of your relationship with the Lord is so key. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned early on is, again, it's not somebody who like I've done this my whole life and been exposed to these sorts of things. There's a lot of division Um in the life movement, um, amongst ministries who have different approaches. Um, and, uh, one of the things that I've come to realize, you know, when you look at how Paul writes about the giftings in the body, um, and how we're to give honor to one another and that the spirit has given gifts so that we lack nothing. Um, I think sometimes we've hurt ourselves by saying, you know, typically we see ministry through our gifting. And if somebody does it differently, then it's wrong. Um, and instead of honoring the gifts, we just divide and go in our own camps and then talk bad about each other. Um, but, you know, you think about just from a, a, a an earthly perspective, there's all sorts of different people that are having abortions, right? Different stories, different circumstances, different spiritual postures. And so... I don't really advocate for like one form, right? One form of outreach. Like on a particular day, the guys who's who are out there preaching, may they they might be particularly effective because of the people that are there that day and the way that the spirit is is using them. On the on other days, it might be somebody who's handing out literature. It could be just a sign. Um, sometimes we use victim images in our literature. Um, and that really comes from a leading of the Holy Spirit that as you're talking to a mom and the counselor senses that it's they're just not connecting, just not getting through that she says to the mom, I want to show you what you're about to do. This is what's going to happen to your child. And it really does require a sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we teach all of those different things that you mentioned of um, signs and literature and preaching and uh, you know, come to the quiet, we have help for you to just flat out saying like, you know, Bible says murder is wrong. And, and, you know, the, there's going to be a time where you account because sometimes women are very soft and, and broken and humble, but other times you get the middle finger and they tell you they're going to do whatever they even want to do to their baby. And, you know, that there's a space there for the prophet, right? For the prophet to say, thus says the Lord and to warn them of the judgment to come. So, um, Again, I know I'm partial to our ministry, but that's why I love, you know, kind of just what we get to do to to show and also to bring unity. I mean, I think the Lord's used us to bring unity amongst ministries that have these different approaches to be able to say, like, hey, let's honor one another. Let's pray for one another. Like one time I was leading a prayer walk and and our group was there and there was a group of street preachers there. And we just prayed for the street preachers. And, and one of the guys literally came over to me and laid his head on my chest and said, that's the first time anyone has ever prayed for us out here. Um, so uh, unity in the body of Christ, especially when we have unity on the essential issues is, is, a, is important.
1: Amen. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, that, that it's not just about a a, a funnel, a, a calculated answer that that this is going to work every time, always go this way. I, I'm so glad you mentioned the, the work of the Holy Spirit, like allowing ourselves to, Meet the person where they're at and and discern what is going to um, reach them and connect with them and allowing God ultimately to to be the the author of that and and of that approach and I wonder maybe tying that into I'm sure that while there are so many beautiful and joyful stories um, of encounters at at abortion facilities, obviously there's a tremendous amount of tragedy I, I remember. Yeah. Um, Peter, you mentioned John Barrows, I, I was down at his clinic last year as well, same time that you were actually, and, and in that span of time, I, I talked to eight people, and, and on a campus talking about abortion by God's grace, I, I would anticipate that six or seven of those people would have changed their mind theoretically on abortion sort of thing, right. based right. on the arguments that we talk about, and yet, out in front of that clinic, I talked to eight people, and every single one of them walked straight past me um, into that abortion facility, and each of them had an abortion. And, and their child was killed by the end of that day. How, do, mm-hmm. um, how does Love Life um, help people manage the grief, the, the, the horrors of their experience while they're there? And, and what kind of advice would you give to somebody who has experienced that, that tragedy of witnessing out front of an abortion facility and seeing even amidst the joys of the people coming and, and choosing life for the baby, those that don't? Uh, What do you guys do in in that realm, I suppose?
2: Yeah, we refer to this as a ministry of rejection. And uh, while we do celebrate the lives that have been saved, there is a ton of rejection. Um, I'll share uh, a neat story with you. So this has been a great discipleship tool for our kids. Um, You know, you can read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. When people revile you and say all sorts of evil about you, uh, we experienced that, right? And, and Justin was sharing that with his kids last year. At the end of our 40 weeks, we invite all the churches back. So those are massive prayer walks here. And there was a lot of pro-abortion opposition there that day. And, and he's got a little daughter, Josie, and they were reviling her and saying all sorts of, you know, calling her names and stuff, and, you know, just silly things. And at the end, Justin said, Josie, what'd you think about today? And she said, Daddy, my pile in heaven just got bigger and um you know just the (laughs) reality of great is your reward in heaven you know it's one thing to talk about that but then to experience it and actually live that out hey we you know we in a very small way endured persecution for righteousness sake today um however that what you talked about when you are there day in and day out maybe you never see a mom choose life and all sorts of you know the realities of what's going on um one of the things we teach is make sure you rest, make sure you Sabbath well, uh, that you spend time with the Lord. I think there's um, something to be said for Paul when he says, you know, that we um, share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. So you think about we see on a minute scale the wickedness and the heaviness of this world. Jesus bore all of it on Himself, so we can we can come to Him, right? Like He's a high priest who. Is able to sympathize with us in our weakness, being in community with others and being able to just talk out what you experienced that day and went through. Um, for folks who come to our boot camp and they're they're being trained to bring love life to their city, um, we have ongoing coaching and group meetings and creating spaces for them to ver- verbalize what they're going through, what they're experiencing, and share that in, in a way that you know, they can be encouraged and uplifted um, and not be overwhelmed by the weightiness of, of everything. And that's why I said, if a hatred for abortion is your primary motivation, you're, you're likely to burn out very, very quickly. It's not that we obviously we don't love abortion. I'm not saying it's wrong to hate abortion, but if that's your primary motivation, you're going to struggle. But if you're there for the Lord and you're there to honor him, you know, at the end of the day, like He's pleased, right? Like he's pleased with your obedience. He's pleased with your faithfulness. And he grieves with you um, over those who are, you know, taken captive by the enemy to do his will. Um, he's grieved for them as well. And so this opportunity to really fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with brothers and sisters as well in that grief.
0: So, Josh, you mentioned the, you know, the importance of the messaging, um, telling them their baby is created in, in the image of God, providing hope for them. Um, you know, sharing with them the truth of uh, and uh, the horrible reality of mm-hmm. what abortion is. Yeah. Do you um, encourage churches and, and, and people ministering outside of the clinics to, I don't know, bring their pregnancy resource center on, uh, on board or offer them anything as well? Um, and is, is that, has that been used, um, you know, to, to save lives as well that, okay, there's financial help for me or there's help, you know, with the birth registry or there's a, a community church behind me that can get on board? Um, Is is that something you offer as well and and train your pastors to offer?
2: Yeah. So, you know, having a network in your city is certainly helpful, Um, you know, to be able to say there's a variety of ministries and organizations that can help you. Uh, Anytime we go into a city, one of the very first things that we train our missionaries to do is to find out where the local care centers are and who's there, what they're doing, Um, pro-life OBGYNs, you know. Uh, all, all of those things to really have a, an arsenal, right, a tool belt uh, that your sidewalk team is equipped with uh, so that when there's a variety of circumstances presented, they know what resources that they have available. So um, not every pregnancy care center is willing to partner with people who are on the sidewalks. It's kind of a varied response. Um, but our heart is to give honor where honor is due. They do a great work. They're working hard. Uh, but sometimes there's some disheartening things that uh, that you experience along the way as well, where I think there's a man-centeredness sometimes that uh, bleeds into pro-life work um, and uh, miss out on opportunities uh, to really be involved. But I will say the majority of pregnancy care centers that we interact with, have been wonderful, wonderful partners. And um, they're uh, some of, you know, I I think of the one in Greensboro, like when we went into Greensboro, they had one there had a mobile unit, but they were primarily just kind of going around town um, and they weren't going to the local abortion clinic. And when we shared the vision of what we were doing, like the director literally shifted her entire ministry um, to bring the mobile unit to the sidewalks there at that local abortion clinic. Um, and another one did the same that was like 45 minutes away. They started bringing theirs, and they were taking turns and working together. Uh, And so that's a beautiful picture. Uh, Not every care center has a mobile unit. So like in New York City, our sidewalk teams do a phenomenal job. they found a handful of care centers that are willing to see these moms from the sidewalks. And so they literally will jump in an Uber with a mom, take her to a restaurant, have a cup of coffee, like calm down, have a conversation, and then – Another one will be on the phone with a care center making an appointment for that mom to get her over there to continue to like, you know, just calm down in the chaos, hear about what's available, see your baby on ultrasound. Um, So yeah, it's a great partnership um, for sure to have pro-life OBGYNs, abortion pill reversal connections, pregnancy care centers, all of it. Housing, um, you know, housing for moms who are being threatened to be kicked out or they're being trafficked. Um, so one of our partnering churches here, um, they're renovating uh, a large dormitory to house moms uh, who are in that situation. and uh, that's a gr- that is a huge asset for sidewalk teens. If you know they're a ministry in your city where if a, mo- a you know a young teenage girl is being threatened to be kicked out of her house if she keeps her baby, and you can say, we have a place for you to live, like you know that's a that's a huge help.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 100%. And, and I, I'm so encouraged. Uh, and and you've touched on it a few times explicitly and, and throughout um, implicitly of of the unifying factor that, that you guys play in so much of this ministry and how you're bringing um, formal pro-life entities in touch with with um, churches and and groups that may not have been connected beforehand. Um and and so super super encouraged on that and and the last question on my end before Peter gets into a few um, of of the stories that, that you guys have experienced and and I'm glad as well that that what you mentioned with regards to not taking the weight of this experience on upon our own shoulders that that it's not mm-hmm. up to you and not only uh, when it comes to the. The burden of not being able to support those who are going in, but you touched on it as well when counter protesters are out there. When counter protesters are trying to get the pro lifers off their game, trying to provoke them into some degree of conflict. What kind of encouragement do you give those people to avoid that conflict and stay true to the ministry of why they're out there? And and how can people kind of have that uh, water off a duck's back kind of mentality when they're being faced with such um, vitriol and, and hatred at times from counter protesters, I suppose, even to the point of I, I, I hope that you guys haven't experienced, but I'm sure that you may have when it comes to things, even to the extent of being spat upon or or verbal harassment or even physical assault. What kinds of suggestions do you give to participants so that they respond appropriately to those really terrible situations?
2: Yeah, for prayer walkers, you know, our code of conduct just simply says don't engage. They're a distraction. We're not here to engage with them. For our sidewalk teams, um, we teach the primary focus is the moms and dads who are there that day. Um, But uh, after everyone is kind of inside and things begin to calm down, uh, oftentimes our sidewalk teams will interact, uh, have conversations, uh, trying to build relationships, um, you know, for further gospel conversations and to influence. Um, When it gets heated, um, really encourage folks to, you know, create space, separate, they're not there to shout and argue again. If there's chaos on the sidewalk, that's the last place a mom is going to be attracted to. Um, there's already enough chaos in her life. Um, and, uh, but then if there are physical altercations or things where they're a violation of the law, we do encourage that you, you know, do things to hold people accountable as well. Uh, so, you know, things got pretty intense last year. There was some real aggressive behavior here and, uh, people being doxed uh, on social media, their addresses being put out there, telling people to kill them, uh, things like that. And, you know, so the, the, we use the law um, to um, push back on that. If you don't, you're going to get walked all over uh, and things are going to get worse. So I think it's OK to use the law to, to have a level of accountability there as much as possible. Um, but, yeah, if you start getting angry and get heated, I mean, you don't want to do the same things right? you don't want to be sinful in your ministry out there. So if you need to step away, step away and, um, take a breath, pray, um, and, uh, don't get involved in shouting matches and fruitless conversations. You know, Bible talks about casting pearls before swine, you know, you can kind of tell the difference between somebody who's there just to argue and distract you versus somebody who you sense the Lord is working in their life. And you want to keep having that conversation, that conversation on going. So
0: that, that's really helpful. And uh, I want to thank you for those tips. I, I, and I, I want to encourage our listeners who have the opportunity of going out and ministering in front of their local abortion clinic uh, to do that very thing. Um, you know, to, to do it for the love of God and for the love of those who they are ministering to yeah. uh, so that those little children uh, can be saved from the hands of the abortionists and mm-hmm. those mothers and fathers can be saved from the sin of going and trying yeah. to get an abortion. Yeah. As we slowly start to wrap up, one of the things that that we know from experience is that people who are not really involved in this sort of thing, and even those who are, are really encouraged by the stories, by the things that God does through the work of those who are out on the front lines. And so I'm wondering if you have a few remarkable stories of the way that God has worked and the way that babies have been saved that really stand out in your mind that uh, you could share with our listeners.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would love to at some point man, if we could like make a video or a movie about these things, cause they're just miraculous and they give glory to God. But, um, you know, the first one that comes to my mind, the, the, the Wiggins family, they're, out, they're on our YouTube page, but, uh, they came for an abortion on a Wednesday. They've been living together for about 10 years. They were living in a hotel. They had lost everything and, uh, came to have an abortion. Um, one of our sidewalk counselors reached out to them. They went on the mobile unit, saw their baby. And she was just able to say like, whatever you need, like, you know there's 150 plus partnering churches here in Charlotte, like we can help you. Um, and so, um, that was a Wednesday on Thursday. Um, they put their faith in Jesus on Sunday. They were in church with their mentor, and that following week they got married. Um, and they were, you know, they've been living together for 10 years, and so I mean, everything just kind of like uh, came together at once, and so you know, they. They've been to several prayer walks. Actually, Justin employs the husband in his business now. So our founder is our biggest volunteer. He's a business owner in the city, and uh, he has people that run the business for him so that he can give his time freely to the ministry. And um, and so, uh, yeah, so that's one that comes to mind. Uh, uh, another one that we love to share, uh, so the manager at the abortion clinic here for 10 years, her niece came to have an abortion. Uh, she changed her mind came out uh, got connected with our sidewalk team we connected her with a mentor and a local church they threw her a huge baby shower and the manager of the abortion clinic showed up at that baby shower now we didn't know she was the manager at the time we just knew she was a family member and so she saw the church of Jesus like you know just loving on her niece and helping her with her situation and she actually the the manager actually started sending clients out of the abortion center telling them that they could go across the street, the people out there aren't crazy, and they would actually help them um, because they were helping her niece and she was seeing it. And uh, so uh, she actually quit uh, that year uh, on our 40th week of prayer. She walked out of the abortion clinic, gave a huge hug to one of the sidewalk uh, ministers that was out there that day. And uh, she actually caters events for us now um, she, she's a, a chef and, and, uh, so she does food for us. She's amazing. She brought us desserts yesterday and, uh, they were amazing. So, uh, we enjoy that, but yeah, so she's not in the industry anymore. We've seen over 20, I believe 25 workers quit the abortion industry, uh, since we've started. Um, some other stories, uh, in uh, New York city, our 40th week in New York city, uh, in 2019, a young 16 year old girl showed up. Uh, There was about 400 New Yorkers standing on the sidewalk across from the Margaret Sanger Center. That's the name. Well, it was the name of their Planned Parenthood. They're trying to separate themselves from the racist background of Margaret Sanger, uh, so they changed the name. But it's the Margaret Sanger Center on Margaret Sanger Square, um, and uh, and 400 New Yorkers out there praying and worshiping. The 16-year-old girl shows up. Instead of going in the building, she walks across the street into the crowd of people that are there. One of the pastor's wives who actually survived an abortion begins ministering to this mom. And instead of going into the Planned Parenthood, she walked back with all of the Christians that were there to the church where we start our prayer walk. They were able to minister to her. And she actually told us that one of the counselors in Planned Parenthood told her to show up on Saturday because she knew the church would be there and that the church would help her. Um, so this is a Planned Parenthood worker pointing a client to the church. Um, and, uh, you know, we talk about how the church has been positioned and called to shift the, we can shift the culture and, and stand for righteousness. And um, and so it's an incredible um, illustration of, you know, what that looks like and, and how that can happen. Um, post-abortion healing, uh, stories of post-abortion healing, man, have just been so encouraging of, you know. Men and women who have been you know, bombarded with guilt and shame don't tell anyone about their abortions. And through exposure to love life and, and the hearing their pastor, hearing their pastor talk about abortion and applying the gospel and the forgiveness of Jesus specifically to the sin of abortion, which many pastors think if I talk about abortion, I'm going to hurt people in my church. It's actually the opposite. You're going to set them free. Um, seeing them now sharing their stories at prayer walks, leading post-abortion um, Bible studies in their churches. Um, I mean, there's so many illustrations of that. A, a woman, um, so we've just launched Love Life Southern California a few weeks ago. And um, one of the volunteers there had a friend, I, I believe somewhere in the mid part of the country, um, had an abortion about six weeks ago. And she's been so brokenhearted. She reached out to our Restored Life um, coordinator, her name is Stephanie, And Stephanie led that mom to Jesus on the phone uh, who reached out because of the grief of her abortion. And now she's in one of our abortion recovery groups and being ministered to. And uh, so, guys, there's so many ripple effects that happen inside of the church and outside of the church um, when when uh, people are just engaging with this issue. And uh, I want to say very, very clearly, this is the work of the church. Love Life is a tool to the local church, but the work is done by these churches and we're grateful for all of our partnering churches, our partnering pastors and uh, the work that they're doing. So if I could just plug our website real quick, lovelife.org slash America, if you guys are interested in um, bringing love life to your city, what we are looking for leaders, we're looking for leaders who are interested in coming here to Charlotte to be trained. And so if you want to know more about that, just hit lovelife.org slash America.
0: Perfect. We'll be throwing that in our show notes as well. So people can uh, go into the show notes and click on that link. I just want to say uh, before we, we really wrap up, uh, God really works in very miraculous and, and sometimes mysterious ways. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to hear of, of babies saved and, and people who change their mind and turn to the Lord because the church is out there, you know, and they have a conversation with them. But to hear that there are workers within the uh, abortion clinics. Uh, advising people to hey you know what like you know we i we provide abortions here we'll take your money but if you really want help go across the street to the people who are completely against what we're doing and they're going to help you far more than we will be able to and and, i mean you can't attribute that to anyone but to god um and to his faithfulness and him using the local church outside of these abortion clinics uh just phenomenal just i've never heard something like that before um gives, gives me shivers you know what i'm saying Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the pro-life guys podcast.
2: Yeah, guys, thank you so much, uh, just for having me on here today and allowing us to share about our ministry. And I want to give honor to you guys for the work that you're doing there to engage the church, to engage the people of God, not only in Canada, but everywhere where your podcast is going out, um, you know all of us together, man, with all their giftings and the different passions and personalities and roles that the Lord has given us uh, are vital in this work to honor the Lord uh, by being advocates for the, for the unborn. And uh, so I pray God's blessings on you guys. May your ministry continue to be fruitful. And uh, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on here.
0: Thank you, sir. That is Josh Kappes from Love Life Ministries. I'm still like, I got these shivers uh, because of those, mm-hmm. those stories, how God is using the, the people inside the clinics, uh, inside these abortion facilities to direct women and mothers out to the church, to the people who are ministering. And I opened with this quote uh, by John Barrows, who said, it's amazing what God will do if you simply show up and wow. Wow. You know that is true, and so we want to encourage you. Uh, if you have an opportunity to go and minister in front of an abortion clinic, to go talk to the women, to go talk to the, the mothers and the fathers who are out there, to to engage with them, to share with them the humanity of their preborn child and the inhumanity of the process and the the procedure that they are going to, you know, pay a doctor to do to end the life of their child. Go and do it. You will, You will not. You you won't know. Uh, you don't know right now what God's going to do, um, but if you are faithful in going out, um, you know there's a, a good chance the, the Holy Spirit's going to come and some some cool things are going to happen. Cam, do you have any final thoughts for us as we wrap this up? Yeah, I I love that conversation
1: with Joshua as well, and I think that it's so practical as well. Even if you are in a country or, or a city like Calgary uh, where you're not able to necessarily engage with mothers and fathers as they go into abortion facilities, I feel like so many of his. Um, suggestions are applicable to any scenario in which you're talking to somebody who might be considering abortion. That in many ways, there's lots of different ways to engage people. And I know that on this program, we talk a lot about systems for how to effectively engage, uh, especially in an intellectual capacity on a street corner or on a doorstep, going through that bridging of the gap, common ground analogy question, human rights argument, things like that, and how Josh kind of really conveyed that in this 11th hour, talking to somebody who is planning on having an abortion, we really need to, at, <laughs> at the risk of sounding too cliche, let Jesus take the wheel sort of thing, and, and really allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in those conversations to have the courage to be a witness, whether it's our friend, our family member, a coworker, somebody that we randomly overhear talking about abortion on the bus. We need to have the courage to step up to the plate and engage on this absolutely vital um, issue in which a life literally hangs in the balance. And to allow yourself to be a tool in the hand of the Lord um, in engaging that person to help them realize the support that's available, the friendship, the the love that is there and waiting for them and their child so that they don't have to go through this abortion decision, regardless of how messed up of of a situation they're in found that so so beautiful that so many of these tools are applicable regardless of whether it's very easy for you to engage people outside of an abortion facility in your hometown
0: or not yeah that's right that's key and uh yeah that's really good i i love this conversation i hope you do as well as we wrap things up i just want to direct you once again to our patreon page become a patron of the pro-life guys financially partner with us so that together We can bring the truth about abortion to the public and we can equip people to be good pro-life ambassadors. Thank you so much for those who are partnering with us now. We also have a number of other episodes, a lot of other episodes, a few other series. You can find them all on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube. Go check us out, the Pro-Life Guys podcast. For now, thank you so much for tuning in once again. We hope you tune in again next time and God bless you all.